Welcome to PwC's weekly accounting podcast series. I'm Heather Horn. Today's episode is the third in our occasional series about accounting for income taxes, and will be focused on the accounting for outside basis differences. And if right now you're asking yourself, what does she mean? You're not alone. This can be a complex area of accounting. So we'll start with the basics and then dive a little deeper into the specific considerations you should be thinking about. Joining me back are Jen Spang and Cassie Bauman, tax accounting specialists from PwC's national office. Frequent listeners will recognize them from earlier episodes in this series. So with all that said, let's get started. So Jen and Cassie, before we get into some of the complexity on our topic about outside basis differences, let's rewind and go back to the basics. Can you explain for our listeners what we mean when we say outside basis difference? Yeah, sure. So it might be easiest to kind of do a little contrast here between inside basis differences and outside basis differences so people know what the difference is between them and then we can keep talking about outside. So um, so I think people, when they think about like deferred tax accounting, they might be familiar with, more familiar with inside basis differences, which would be, so I'm a company, I buy a depreciable asset like a piece of machinery and it depreciates at different rates for book purposes and tax purposes. And so the difference between the book and tax basis yields a deferred tax asset or liability that I have to account for. So that would be an inside basis difference, something I own that's kind of an asset for like my operations or other things. An outside basis difference is I'm a company and I have an investment, I own an investment in another entity the difference between the book and tax basis of my investment in that entity is what the outside basis difference is. So it's not something that I have kind of sitting within my four walls, if you want to think of it that way. It's an investment in another entity. And so in some instances, outside basis difference or the book and tax basis difference of an investment in another entity, they could be different from day one, but a lot of times they could be the same on day one. You know, I paid a million dollars for the stock of a company or I injected capital of a million dollars to start up a company. And so maybe I start with book and tax basis equal to a million dollars on day one. From there, though, it can you can generate an outside basis difference. So that might be, say, the subsidiary that I have an investment in um, has positive book earnings. So they're making money. And for gap purposes, I'm accounting for that, and that's coming into my book basis. But for tax purposes, if it's not immediately taxed for some reason, um, maybe it's only taxed when it's distributed, those earnings are distributed to me as the parent, then my tax basis would have just stayed the same at the million dollars that I invested. And so then I might have a book basis that's higher than a tax basis at some point in time, and I might need to consider whether I have deferred taxes to record for that. So then is the type of thing that can give rise to an outside basis difference, sometimes similar to an inside basis difference, but it involves two entities because it involves an investment, or are they different types of items? They tend to be different. Outside basis differences could be earnings related, could could be driven by earnings, could be driven by cumulative translation adjustments on those earnings, OCI related or business combination related, things like that. Um, internally, it tends to be, if you're looking at an inside basis difference, the it's usually a, just a a difference in, say, depreciation or when I actually get a deduction for a bad debt versus gap versus 
So, you know, maybe another way to think about it is when you're in a corporate setting, you're talking about two layers of tax. So when Cassie's talking about these inside basis differences, just for kicks, think of like a subsidiary in Switzerland with a U.S. parent. Um, The inside basis is what's going on in Switzerland. So Swiss depreciation rules and U.S. gap, if you will, differences there. And you're talking about Swiss tax and you're talking about the Swiss tax rate. But when we talk about outside basis, we're talking about that investment from the U.S. into Switzerland. So at that level, we're now talking about a second layer of tax, right? We're talking about when that basis difference reverses, what is the U.S. tax on that? So it's really the inside and outside are two different things, um, as Cassie has described, and it really has to do with that second layer of tax. Okay. So then you mentioned parent. When we talk about parent, is that always sort of like the top of a conglomerate or how does that work? No, not necessarily. So you think about the whole structure and, you know, the, the bottom subsidiary, say you have five tiers of, of entities, the bottom structure and its immediate owner could, is the parent for purposes of this consideration. So there could be multiple parents effectively, um, in one org structure. Um, but it becomes important because the, how you're thinking about these things, the whole outside basis difference is from the lens of the parent. Yeah. And I guess the other point that's interesting is when you talked about investment, I went to sort of like equity method investment, but you're talking about any investment and that could include consolidated subsidiaries, partnerships, et cetera. Yep. Okay. That's helpful. So then why don't we move on then since we've sort of talking about these structures and there can be a lot of entities involved. If you're looking at a structure, often there could be a mix of some are in the US, some are in different countries, maybe a couple in the same country. Does that make a difference? It does become important because ASC 740 has specific rules and certain exceptions that are applicable to domestic versus foreign investments. And so you kind of have to know, am I looking at this, this outside basis that I'm considering? Is it a domestic outside basis difference or a foreign one? And when you're thinking about that, when I say domestic, I don't mean U.S. I mean, I could have, to Jen's example, if I'm a U.S. parent with a Swiss sub, then I'm talking about a foreign outside basis difference. But if I had a Swiss parent with a Swiss sub, I'm talking about a domestic when you're thinking about it from ASC 740. Okay, that's helpful. And then let's loop back to something Cassie mentioned, which was that there's sometimes exceptions to when you would record deferred taxes. So Jen, can you give us some examples? Yeah. So, and this goes back importantly to what Cassie was just talking about on this idea of domestic versus foreign outside basis difference. So on a domestic front, if you have a tax law that provides a means of recovering that outside basis in a tax-free manner, and that's how the parent expects to recover it, that's one exception. So, so that would be what you'd think about when you were thinking about domestic to domestic. That might be very common, let's say, um, in Europe, it's also in the U.S. If we have a U.S. sub of a U.S. parent, you know, you typically don't see those deferred taxes because of that exception. But there's this then a second category when you think about the foreign exception. And this we fondly call the indefinite reinvestment assertion. It's a mouthful. Or just APB 23, mm-hmm. despite the fact that it's been codified as part of the income tax accounting standard. So when you think about APB 23, again, that will only be applicable to a foreign investment. So if you use the example 
that Cassie gave of Switzerland to Switzerland, you would not be looking at APB 23 in that case. But if you're looking at the U.S. to Switzerland, you could be thinking about that exception. And for that exception to apply, you have to have the intent and ability to indefinitely reinvest the earnings of that subsidiary. And the key thing is intent and ability. You might have the ability, right? So you might be able to say the law would allow me to not have immediate taxation, but intent is very important. If you're a foreign subsidiary, for example, and that's where all of the company's cash is, right? right? And you have a significant debt payment coming due in the U.S., and the only source to pay that debt is from that foreign subsidiary, you might have a difficult time um, asserting an indefinite reinvestment just because your ability might be hampered in that case. So again, facts are very, very important. So then, Jen, if we're talking about deferred tax liabilities, I know it's been a lot of talk with tax reform out there and the impacts of tax reform. Is that something that's impacted this accounting? It's definitely an area where you've seen a pretty significant shift for companies, you know, as part of tax reform. You know, a lot of those historical outside basis differences actually reversed, if you will, as part of reform um, because of the toll charge. But still very much relevant and the standard hasn't changed. So you do see companies asserting as they move forward as well. Okay. So it's definitely still something for companies to stay focused on. Okay. That's helpful. And then we've been talking about tax, deferred tax liabilities. Are there any special considerations for deferred tax assets? Yeah, there are. So that would be a situation where your outside basis difference, your tax basis is higher than your book basis. So that would yield a deferred tax asset potentially. But the standard says you don't record a deferred tax asset for an outside basis difference. This is for both domestic and foreign investments unless it will reverse in the foreseeable future. Now, the standard doesn't explain what foreseeable future means. So I think in practice, typically a year oh, um, fast, is, is the time frame that we look at. And so it's something to keep in mind for companies. Like, for example, if you have a business that you uh, classify as held for sale, then that's just the interaction of those two standards. Held for sale classification means you expect to get rid of it within a year. And so you have to remember, oh, okay, if I have an outside basis difference that's tax over book, then I have a deferred tax asset I probably need to record at that point in time. Yeah. And I guess that's a very good example of why it's critically important to understand if you're talking about an inside basis difference or an outside basis difference, because you will come to a much different answer. Yep. The rules are totally different. Right. And then I guess that goes back to why you need to know if you're in the same country, out of the country, et cetera. So all those layers really come together. Okay, so now we've talked about some of the exceptions that would result that you don't record a deferred tax asset or liability for an outside basis difference. But then what about when you do need to record your DTA or DTL? Are there anything specific you should consider when it comes to measurement? I think measurement is definitely a challenging area, right? And companies clearly saw that. You you mentioned tax reform and asked about that. Companies clearly saw the complexities of needing to calculate the tax on these outside basis differences as part of reform. But when you're measuring the liability, we've hit on a number of the points. You, first of all, need to think about measurement of the deferred tax liability at every level. First, you need to think about how is the basis difference going to reverse, right? Am I going to sell it? Am I going to liquidate it? Am I going to distribute, do a distribution, right? And then depending upon how you most expect that will reverse, that temporary difference will reverse, you then go about measuring it. And that can be different because if you're talking about through sale and you have different capital gains versus ordinary rates, there can be a difference in the measurement. 
But also then depending on how you expect it to reverse, other taxes might come up. So for example, if you're making a distribution from maybe a second or tier subsidiary, you may have withholding taxes as that distribution goes up the chain, let's say to the US. So you need to be able to think about it at every level. You need to understand the tax laws in each level as you go. You need to think about whether there'll be any foreign tax credits for the taxes that you've paid at any of those levels. And so it is a fairly complex and that's not even getting into, frankly, currency, right? So you need to think as well about what are the currency impacts, the taxation of the currency impacts on those basis differences as well. So once you get into measurement and deciding that you need to book a liability, it's a fairly detailed exercise that you know, you need to really understand the details at every level of the organization. I think that might be your theme for this whole conversation <laughs> to understand the details. So um, I guess one question maybe to wrap things up. So I made the comment earlier that this applies to subsidiaries as well as other types of investments. So are there any special considerations if you're dealing with something other than a subsidiary? There are, Heather, and it's probably worth a whole separate podcast when you think about that. But you know, when you think, for example, about a partnership, earlier on we talked about how when we're talking about a parent-subsidiary relationship, we're talking about two layers of tax. But if you just take, for example, a partnership, that's one layer of tax, right? There's mm -hmm. very typically no tax at the partnership level. That does not mean there is never tax. Right. But very typically there is not tax at the partnership level, but there is at the parent level. So when you think about partnerships, you're looking at a single tax and an outside basis in that case. But there would be different rules depending on how you think about um, your structure. Is it a joint venture? Is it a partnership, a branch? So any one of those areas could actually result in different accounting. Okay. Well, both. Thank you so much. I think very helpful. I think outside versus inside basis differences is something that people know are out there, but don't always understand exactly what we're dealing with. So I think this is a great education. So thank you. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. So that you never miss an episode, subscribe to this series wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I'd love to hear from you. So write to me at heather.horn at pwc.com or to stay up to date on the latest content, let's connect on LinkedIn. For PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.